Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Addicted to Crime. I'm your host Shelby Nanke, back with another huge case. As always, you can find our source material and show notes on our website, addictedtocrime.org. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Addicted to Crime Podcast and send us a Gmail at I am addicted to crime at gmail.com. Don't forget to enter our giveaway. There are a ton of details on that on previous episodes as well as our Instagram and Facebook page. All right, let's dive into this case. Hello, everyone. Before you begin this episode, I just wanted to open with a brief disclaimer. This episode briefly mentions disturbing content, including rape and animal cruelty. Listener discretion is advised. that it's the voice of famed serial killer Edmund Kemper and that's who we're going to be talking about today. Big old Ed himself also known as the co-ed killer. His story is pretty horrific from his upbringing to all the young women he killed to his grandparents. His story is gonna rock your socks. So I don't want to come off as annoying here but have you ever heard people say that they have a favorite serial killer? Have you? Before I got into true crime, that always kind of bugged me because it's like, um, excuse me, you, you have a favorite person who murdered somebody? How dare you? But after I got into true crime, I kind of realized what, what that actually meant. And that means having one serial killer that stands out to you as someone who just perplexes you and just fascinates you and not in a cool way, but in a, wow, I cannot believe the psychology of this person, how evil this person is. And if I had to pick one serial killer that stands out to me as perplexing, as horrible, as fascinating, however horrifying, that would be this man, Edmund Kemper. From the beginning of his life to the end of his life, it's just crazy. And I say the end of his life, he's actually still alive, rotting in prison somewhere in California. So that's crazy. It's really weird when you think about it like that. But let's start at the beginning, shall we? Edmund Kemper was born in Burbank, California in 1948 to father Edmund Emil Kemper II and mother Clarnell Kemper. He was the middle child and the only boy. He was a whopping 13 pounds at birth, which all I have to say is wow and ouch. He was a big boy. He grew quickly all throughout life. And at four, he was a good head taller than most of the kids his age. Growing up, Ed showed early on that he had a sadistic evil side to him. At 10 years old, he murdered the family cat, 
by burning the poor thing alive, then buried the cat, and later dug the cat up, dismembered it, and put the head on a spike. And if that just doesn't radiate warning signs, I don't know what does. Little Ed, what's going on? What you doing? Someone needs to get Ed some help. When he was in prison as an adult, Edmund would later say that he would get a sick pleasure from lying to his family about what actually happened to the cat. One interesting thing about Ed that some of you probably already know, but you're going to see throughout this episode because I'm going to be playing clips from this guy, is he loves to talk. He loves to diagnose his own problems. He likes to say why this happened, why this happened. He is a huge talker. So many interviews you can find um, on YouTube, and that's where I got a lot of this stuff. Honestly, go listen to them. It's fascinating. It's terrifying because he's very point blank about it. But if you want to get an insight to his head, I recommend you go listen to it. From a young age, he's showing his dark side already. He killed the one family cat, and he's about to kill another cat. Ed had two sisters, remember? Younger sister, Alan, and older sister, Susan. And one of the family cats really liked Alan. In fact, that cat loved Alan more than liking Edmund, apparently, which bothered Edmund. I don't know why. My cat, Marshall, loves my husband more than me, and it doesn't bother me. But Edmund didn't handle this rejection well. You might say he handled it unwell, actually. He tortured and killed this cat with a bayonet. Perfectly normal. Now, in addition to killing cats, Edmund had a huge disdain for his father because his mother, Clarnell, wore the pants in the family. And Edmund, Father Edmund, did little to nothing to stop his wife. Now, Edmund Sr. was a World War II veteran, and he actually said that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. And that is his quote about living with his wife, Clarnell. And if a hardened veteran can say that it was that hard to live with his wife, wow, I can only imagine. Clarnell would constantly berate Kemper Sr. and would make fun of him, and Kemper would just do nothing about it. And he would just sit there and take it. And eventually they did divorce in 1957, and Edmund went to live with his mom and two sisters in Montana while the dad stayed in California. According to his sister, Alan, Ed even tried to kill her at one time. When they were living in Montana, Alan was in the living room with her back to Edmund, just doing some things, and she heard a click. She turns around really fast, and a bullet whizzes by her face and hits the wall. It nearly hit her. Edmund was just like, oh, whoops. I didn't know it was loaded. But Alan always thought from then on that he had meant to actually kill her. Now, Clornell was not a good mother. She was an alcoholic, and she was extremely cruel to Edmund. They did not have a good relationship at all. She would berate him by calling him big or huge or a monster, a freak. She would say that no one would ever love him. She even locked him in the basement when he was 10 years old every single night because she said that he would harm her daughters. She thought that Edmund would molest his sisters. And honestly, hindsight being 2020, maybe Clarnell had just some kind of motherly instinct saying that she needed to protect her daughters and that Kemper had some stuff going on, maybe. 
But if that wasn't the case, can you imagine the psychological problems that that would put on a child? Kemper even said that it seemed like his sisters were going up to heaven. He was going down to hell where there were monsters and demons that he had to fight. He said that's how he pictured it when he was a kid. He said it was scary and he did not want to be down, obviously, in the basement. Edmund would, though, get in trouble with his sisters quite often. He would saw the heads off their dolls. He would even play a weird game with them and not hide and seek like normal kids do or tag or freeze tag. Nope. They would play gas chamber or electric chair. Edmund would tell the girls to tie him up and pretend to lead him into the gas chamber where he would then like convulse like he was being gassed or else tie him up in a chair where he would act like he's dying and then suddenly go still. You know, very, very normal games for a young child's developing mind. Very normal. Nothing to worry about. Larnell sent Edmund away and he went to go live with his father. Now, that is conflicting because in an interview that I listened to from Edmund, he said that he actually ran away from his mother to get away from her. And then another source, I said he ran away um, without his mother knowing. And then another source said Clarnell sent him away. So I'm not really sure. Honestly, probably all three of those things were happening. He wanted to get away from Clarnell. So he ran away. And then Clarnell was just like, just leave, just leave. And he probably all of those things were happening. So Edmund goes and lives with his father, who right now is living in California. And his father already has a new family. He has new, uh, more children. And his stepmom was very cautious. And honestly, she didn't trust Edmund around the house. I'm not saying I blame her. But Edmund did say of his stay with his father that his father treated him and his stepbrother like human beings. He said he never got this kind of treatment from his mother. He said his father treated him like little men. Like he would give them errands to do and things to do like a normal child. And Edmund said he never... He never got that when he was living with his mother. However, the stay with his father was short-lived, and he was sent to go live with his grandparents, his father's parents. They lived on a farm, and Edmund hated living with his grandparents there. His grandmother was very domineering, much like his mother was, and she wouldn't let him shoot guns. She was very bossy. In 1964, while still living with his grandparents, Edmund one night got into an argument with his grandmother while his grandfather was away running errands. In a rage, he shot and killed his grandmother with a 22 caliber rifle. He shot her in the head and it killed her instantly. He then waited on the front porch for his grandfather to come home. When his grandfather got out of the car, that's when Edmund shot and killed him. And when he was questioned later about why he killed his grandparents, he said of his grandmother, Quote, I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone, end quote. And then of his grandfather, he said, quote, I didn't want him to come home to see his wife killed, which is very interesting because you know he hates women and you know he has a sort of animosity towards domineering women too, apparently. And so him showing little regard to why he killed his grandmother is so stark in contrast for why he killed his grandfather. He didn't want his grandfather to have to deal with the pain of his wife's death. Whereas he just wanted to know what it felt like to kill his grandmother. After he kills his grandfather, he tries to hide the body. And then he goes back inside, tries to hide his grandmother's body, and then calls his mother. And his mother right away does the right thing. She tells him, you know, call the police, turn yourself in, own up to what you did. And so he calls the police and he waits for them on the front porch. Now, at this time that he killed his grandparents, he's only 15, and since he was only 15, he was sent to California Youth Authority, and he was tested there. 
They found out he had an IQ of 145, and that's when he also was found out to suffer from paranoid schizophrenia. He was then sent to Atacasadero State Hospital, which is a maximum security facility for the mentally ill convicts. He spent five years behind bars. In 1969, he's released back out into society at the age of 21. So he had just spent his entire childhood and teenage years behind bars, and he has no social skills at all. He doesn't know how to hold a job. He doesn't know how to be in a relationship. He's just not sure where to go. Now, his doctors and psychiatrists told him to completely cut ties with his mother and start fresh because they tied his problems to his mother. But they also just kind of released him. They kind of waved him away and was like, good luck. You know, you've been in prison for five years. You don't have any street smarts. You got no money or family that would probably take you in. Don't go to your mother, by the way. Good luck. Bye. See you later. Hopefully never. So it's just kind of crazy. They want to say he was rehabilitated, but they also didn't really give him legs to stand on. Of course, Kemper goes back to live with his mother. And she right now is in Santa Cruz, California. And he would actually, while he was there with her, take classes at the University of California while his mother worked there. He tried to get hired as a police officer, actually, at this time, but he was denied because of his size. He weighed 300 pounds and he was over six foot nine. And police officers had a height and weight limit, apparently. They didn't want to just hand this super huge giant dude a gun and say, go roam the streets and force the law. He seemed to handle this well better than he handled other forms of rejection growing up, actually. He would hang out at the jury room, which was a police bar sort of hangout, which the jury room isn't that amazing, a police hangout called the jury room. Anyways, he would hang at this place and he would become friendly with the officers that were there. They liked him. He was easy to talk to and hang out with and they said they felt comfortable around him. They would even call him Big Ed. And while he was working, he worked for the Department of Transportation as well as taking classes. And he was working on the highway. And one day he was struck by another car and his arm was injured and badly damaged. Because of that, he sued the driver and received a settlement of $15,000 in a civil suit that he won. Now, while he's out of work, while his arm is healing, his mind turned to more morbid desires that he had deep down. He began to notice that women in the area were hitchhiking, and he started gathering weapons to use. He would store guns, handcuffs, and knives in his car. Kemper would keep these weapons and hide them, and then he would pick up these hitchhikers, these female hitchhikers, and he thought of this as a practice, a practice for when he would be ready to kill. He told police later on that he thought he had picked up about a thousand hitchhikers during this time. However, one day, he picked up two 18-year-old Fresno State students, Marianne Pesk and Anita Luchessa. These were two best friends that were hiking on a freeway ramp, and they needed a ride to Stanford University. Edmund gave them the ride. He drove them about an hour. He made conversation with them. He seemed to put them at ease. Remember, by all accounts, he was a very likable guy. He was easy to make conversation with. He made these girls feel comfortable. However, about the, after the first hour, he took a detour into a secluded path down a forest near Alameda, California. He separated the girls, he handcuffed Marianne, and he locked Anita in the trunk. 
Now, while Anita was locked in the trunk, Edmund tried to suffocate Marianne with a plastic bag, and he tried to kill her. But Marianne was a hero and such a brave woman. She tried to bite through the bag, and she fought back, and she's fighting him back. He then grabbed her, and he started stabbing her until she died. And poor Anita in the in the trunk. Can you imagine what she went through? I'm sure she heard things, and I'm sure she's fearing for her friend and fearing for her life. Edmund went to the trunk and he took out Anita and Anita was horrified to see him covered in blood and he tried to excuse it away by saying that Marianne got smart with him and then he broke her nose and that's why there was blood but Anita knew better there was way too much blood she put up a fight and she fought bravely for her life she even caused Edmund to cut his hand but it was to no avail Anita was killed next and both girls' corpses were raped by Edmund Kemper. He takes the girls' bodies to his apartment where he takes Polaroid photos of them and he dismembers the bodies. He then took the girls to the Loma Prieta mountain and he dumped their bodies. Now later on, Marianne's skull was found in a wooded area on that mountain in August 1972. Sadly, the other girl's body was never found. Anita's body was never found. And, and side note, one source I read said her pelvic bone was found, and another source I read said that her body was never found. So I'm not quite sure which is which. Both sources said, said the same thing. But either way, can you imagine the horror that their families had to go through? September 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old girl, Aika Ku. Aika was late for her dance class, and the poor girl didn't want to wait for the bus, and so that's when she decided to hitchhike. Kemper drove her to a remote area where he suffocated her, raped her body, and dismembered her. A couple months later, January 1973, Kemper picked up hitchhiker Cindy Shaw, and he actually shot her and killed her. While his mother was out, Kemper went back home, and he brought Cindy and he brings Cindy to his home and puts her in her room where he dismembers her the next day. And he takes her body and he throws her in the ocean. And actually, parts of her body were found when they washed up on shore. Her head, however, he kept. And later, he buried it in his mother's backyard. Now, you're probably wondering, why are there so many hitchhikers? Well, that, that was common around that time. And when the crimes started coming to light and everyone started being more cautious and police started making more warnings, it was said to not drive with anyone who did not have a student sticker who was not associated with the university. Police officers warned, don't hitchhike. If you need to hitchhike, hitchhike with a buddy. Travel in pairs. Only travel with your peers. However, Kemper had a university sticker on his car because remember his mother works at the school and so he was around the campus right under the officer's noses he would use the sticker on his car to get women to come in his car with him and to gain their trust and he did just that on february 5th 1973 he had driven to the university and he saw these two girls Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Liu waiting alongside the road and he offered them a ride and shortly after picking him up he shot them right in the campus parking lot he was just getting 
brave and careless and he was just not caring anymore. He would decapitate these two girls and he would scatter their body parts in different locations. And only a month later, some hikers would discover their bodies in San Mateo County. And as you can guess, there's just pandemonium in Santa Cruz at this time. And Kemper was not the only serial killer who was going on a rampage. John Lindley Frazier and Herbert Mullins were also committing crimes around the area. And this caused the people of Santa Cruz to just go crazy. And Santa Cruz was then dubbed the murder capital of the world. So as you can imagine, everything is building up in Kemper. And he still hasn't faced the person that he is the most mad at. All of these girls, all of these co-eds are symbols in his mind for his mother because his mother is the one truly in his mind that deserves the punishment and he is punishing her by killing her co-eds, which is what she does for a living. She works at a college. And in April 1973, Kemper would attack his mother. It's on Good Friday. He went to his mother's home and him and his mother got into a fight. They got into a bad fight. And his mother was like, just leave, whatever, just go. And she goes into her room to sleep. Kemper creeps up on her while she's sleeping and he strikes her in the head with a hammer. And then he takes a knife and cuts her throat. And he cuts it at the first cut so hard that he almost decapitates her right then and there. He completely decapitates her then and cuts off her head. He then cuts off her hands. He also removes her larynx and he puts her larynx down the garbage disposal, which if that's not symbolism, I don't know what is. He's taking out her voice box and as just a final punch in the face, just cutting them up in the garbage disposal. He also does something truly horrifying and he has oral sex with his mother's decapitated head. He then takes his mother's head, puts it up on a shelf, sits down and starts just yelling at her face and, and just going crazy and screaming and crying and just having a complete breakdown. He takes darts and he even throws the darts at her head. He's completely unhinged at this point. Now Edmund calls his mother's friend Sally, Sally Hallett, because he knows that if anyone will discover his mother's body in a quick fashion it would be his friend because it was one of the only friends she had and so he calls sally over and he invites her over for dinner and when she comes in right away he strangles her and hides her body in the closet he then takes off because he knows he's in trouble he just killed his mother and her best friend so obviously when the bodies are discovered it's going to tie back to him so he jumps in his car and he runs away the next day and he drives to Pueblo Colorado and when he gets there he stops at a payphone and on April 23rd he makes a call to the police officers in Santa Cruz where he tries to confess and this is insane but they actually don't believe him because remember he was friends with these guys they they knew him personally so when he's calling saying hey i'm the co-ed killer i'm the one killing all these girls they just laughed at it because big ed was just making jokes again but they still at least picked him up and they took him in and after many interrogations they finally realized that yes he was the co-ed killer and he, he had been under their noses this whole time 
October 1973, Kemper finally goes to trial. Now, he's charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, and he's found guilty of all of these charges only a month later in November. When asked by the judge what he, they thought his punishment should be, Kemper actually said, quote, that he should be tortured to death, end quote. Instead, he received eight concurrent life sentences, meaning eight life sentences to be served one time after another. So he is going to be there for the rest of his life. And right now, he's actually in the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, which is, like I said, it's crazy to think that some of these guys are still alive and still just sitting in jail for their crimes. But he deserves to. He deserves 100% to sit in rotten jail. He took the lives of so many promising young women who hadn't even begun to live their life yet. And he took out his anger on his mother and on his mother's friend. And he just lives a horrible life. And it's just, it's really sad when you think about his upbringing. But honestly, he deserves 100% to be where he's at. And I didn't play many audio clips today. I'm sorry for that. But if you want to listen to them, like I said, literally just Google Ed Kemper interviews. You'll find hours of them. There's hours. I just couldn't decide which ones to play. And one source that really stuck out is the serial killer documentaries, Ed Kemper. And that's the audio that I used in my introduction, as well as other sources, which I will link in my website for my episode notes. Ed Kemper is a conundrum. Like he has helped so many prisoners with their psych evals and he's just staying busy in prison. Did you know that he's actually the voice of many books, many pre-recorded books? So if you're reading a book by Ed Kemper, how crazy is that? Because he has like a hundred, over a hundred hours of reading time for these books. So he, you might read a book from Edmund Kemper. I'm not sure like which ones obviously he's done, but I did read that I think he did some Star Wars before. So that's just super crazy. Edmund Kemper was up for parole many times in 79, 1980, 81, 82, and he was in prison back in 73, so he is not going to be getting out ever, and it's crazy to think that he might not have never have killed these women if he would have stayed in prison for the murder of his grandparents. So that's all I have for this episode today. He is a fascinating yet horrifying case to study. So many avenues of thought that you can go down. Again, I encourage you to go on YouTube, check out the the sources that I have listed on our website if you want to do some more deep diving. It's crazy. He is very fascinating, but he is definitely where he belongs and he needs to stay there. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Addicted to Crime Podcast. You can find us on our website, addictedtocrime.org. You can also email us, I am addicted to crime. That's I am addicted to crime at gmail.com. Don't forget to enter the giveaway. There's only a couple weeks left. We don't want you to miss out. And I will see you next Monday. Thanks, guys. Bye.